0: Section 2. Of Japanese Girls and Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dan Fraze. Japanese Girls and Women by Alice M. Bacon. Childhood. Part 2. Our little girl's place in the family is a pleasant one. She is the pet and plaything of father and elder brothers, and she is never saluted by anyone in the family except her parents without the title of respect due her position. If she is the eldest daughter, to the servant she is Ojo-sama, literally, young lady. To her own brothers and sisters, Ne-san, elder sister. Should she be one of the younger ones, her given name preceded by the honorific O, and followed by San, meaning Miss, Will be the name by which she will be called by younger brothers and sisters and by the servants. As she passes from babyhood to girlhood and from girlhood to womanhood, she is the object of much love and care and solicitude, but she does not grow up irresponsible or untrained to meet the duties which womanhood will surely bring to her. She must learn all the duties that fall upon the wife and mother of a Japanese household, as well as obtain the instruction in books and mathematics that is coming to be more and more a necessity for the women of Japan she must take a certain responsibility in the household, must see that tea is made for the guests who may be received by her parents, in all but the families of highest rank, must serve it herself. Indeed, it is quite the custom of families of higher classes should a guest whom it is desired to receive with a special honour, dine at the house, to serve the meal not with the family, but separately for the father and his visitor, and it is the duty of the wife or daughter, often the latter, to wait on them. This is in honour of the guest, not on account of the lack of servants, for there may be any number of them within call, or even in the back part of the room, ready to receive from the hands of the young girl what she has removed. She must therefore know the proper etiquette of the table, how to serve carefully and neatly, and above all have the skill to ply the sake bottle, so that the house may keep up its reputation for hospitality should guests arrive in the absence of her parents she must receive and entertain them until the master or mistress of the house returns she also feels a certain care about the behaviour of the younger members of the family especially in the absence of the parents in these various ways she is trained for taking upon herself the cares of a household when the time comes in all but the very wealthiest and most aristocratic families the daughters of the house do a large part of the simple housework in a house with no furniture no carpets no bric-a-brac no mirrors picture frames or glasses to be cared for, no stoves or furnaces, no windows to wash, a large part of the cooking to be done outside, and no latest styles to be imitated in clothing, the amount of work to be done by women is considerably diminished, but still there remains enough to take a good deal of time. Every morning there are the beds to be rolled up and stored away in the closet, the mosquito nets to be taken down, the rooms to be swept, dusted, and aired before breakfast. Besides this, there is the washing and polishing of the engawa, or which runs around the outside of a japanese house between the shoji or paper screens that serve as windows and the amado or sliding shutters that are closed only at night or during heavy driving rains breakfast is to be cooked and served dishes to be washed in cold water and then perhaps there is marketing to be done either at shops outside or from the vendors of fish and vegetables who bring their huge baskets of provisions to the door but after these duties are performed it is possible to sit down quietly to the day's work of sewing studying or whatever else may suit the taste or necessities of the housewife of sewing there is always a good deal to be done for many japanese dresses must be taken to pieces whenever they are washed and are turned dyed and made over and over again so long as there is a shred of the original material left to work upon there is washing too to be done although neither the hot water nor soap And in the place of ironing, the cotton garments, which are usually washed without ripping, must be hung up on a bamboo pole passed through the armholes and pulled smooth and straight before they dry. And the silk, always ripped into breaths before washing, must be smoothed while wet upon a board which is set in the sun until the silk is dry. Then there are the everyday dishes which our Japanese maiden must learn to prepare. The proper boiling of rice is in itself a study the construction of the various soups which form the staple in the japanese bill of fare the preparation of mochi a kind of rice dough which is prepared at the new year or to send to friends on various festival occasions these and many other branches of the culinary art must be mastered before the young girl is prepared to assume the cares of married life twice after the mia mari of her babyhood does our little maid repair to the temple to seek the blessing of her patron god upon a step forward in her short life once when at the age of three the hair on her small head which until then has been shaved in fancy patterns is allowed to begin its growth toward the coiffure of womanhood and once when she has attained her seventh year and exchanges the soft narrow sash of infancy for the stiff wide obi which is the pride of every well-dressed japanese woman Her little brother too, though now no longer destined to wear the hammer-shaped cue of the old-time Japanese warrior, and whose fuzzy black head is now usually left unshaven in his babyhood, still goes to the temple at the age of three to give thanks, and when he comes to be five years old the little boy again goes up to the temple, this time wearing for the first time the manly hakama, or kilt-pleated trousers, and makes offerings to the god who has protected him thus far. The day set for these ceremonies is the 15th of November, and there is no prettier sight in all of Japan than a popular temple on that day. All the streets that converge on the shrine are crowded with gaily dressed children hurrying along to make their offerings, accompanied by parents brimming with pride and pleasure. Small feet are pattering, wooden shoes clattering, little hands clapping, little tongues chattering three-year-old tots of both sexes trudging sturdily along in their clogs square little red-cheeked boys their black eyes shining with pride in their rustling new silk kakama, feeling that they are big boys and no longer to be confused with the babies that they were yesterday here too are the graceful seven-year-old maidens their many-colored garments and their gorgeous new obi setting off to advantage their shining black hair and sparkling eyes the children are so many so happy and so impressed with the fun that it is to be older than they were and that the grown folks who accompany them seem like shadows the only real thing is the children within the temple precincts all the candy sellers and toy merchants who can find standing-room for a stall are doing a brisk trade flags are flying, drums are beating, a kagura dance is going on in the pavilion, about which stands a crowd of youngsters twittering like sparrows, and the steps that lead to the temple itself are as thronged as Jacob's ladder, with little ones ascending and descending. Within the shrine the white-robed priests are hard at work from morning to night. A little company forms in the vestibule, goes to the priest in the first room, where they bow and make their offerings, and wait until there is space for them in the inner sanctuary. From within comes the sound of a droning chant which ends at last, and then a party that has finished its worship issues forth, and those who have been waiting without go in, and when the few minutes of worship are over, and the amulet that rewards the due observance of the day has been received, there are the dances to be seen, and the omiyage to be purchased, and at last the happy party returns, feeling that one more milestone on the journey of life has been passed propitiously. End of note. But though the little girl's life is not without its duties and responsibilities, it is also not at all lacking in simple and innocent pleasures. First among the annual festivals, and bringing with it much mirth and frolic, comes the feast of the new year. At this time father, mother, and all older members of the family lay aside their work and their dignity, and join in the fun and sports that are characteristic of this season. Worries and anxieties are set aside with the close of the year, and the first beams of the new year's sun bring in a season of unlimited joy for the children. For about one week the festival lasts, and the festal spirit remains through the whole month, prompting to fun and amusements of all kinds. From early morning until bedtime the children wear their prettiest clothes, in which they play without rebuke. Guests come and go, bringing congratulations to the family, and often gifts for all. The children's stock of toys is thus greatly increased, and the house overflows with the good things of the season, of which mochi or cake made from rice dough, prepared always especially for this time, is one of the most important articles. The children are taken with their parents to meet New Year's visits to their friends and to offer them congratulations. And much they enjoy this. As dressed in their best, they ride from house to house in jinrikshas. Footnote: Jinriksha or kuruma, a small light carriage, usually with a broad top, which is drawn by a man. The jinriksha is the commonest of all vehicles now in Japan. Jinriksha man and kurumaya are terms constantly used for the runner who draws the carriage. And a footnote. And then, during the long happy evenings, the whole family, including even the grandfather and grandmother, join in merry games. The servants, too, are invited to join the family party, and without seeming forward or out of place, enter into the games with zest. One of the favorite games is Hyaku Nin Isshu, literally, The Poems of a Hundred Poets. It consists of two hundred cards, on each of which is printed either the first or last half of one of the hundred famous Japanese poems, which give the name to the game. The poems are well known to all Japanese, of whatever sort or condition. All Japanese poems are short, containing only thirty-one syllables, and have a natural division into two parts. The one hundred cards containing the latter halves of the poems are dealt and laid out in rows, face upward, before the players. One person is appointed reader. To him are given the remaining hundred cards, and he reads the beginnings of the poems in whatever order they come from the shuffled pack. Skill in the game consists in remembering quickly the line following the one read, and rapidly finding the card on which it is written. Especially does the player watch his own cards, and if he finds there the end of the poem, the beginning of which has just been read, he must pick it up before anyone sees it and lay it aside. If someone else spies the card first, he seizes it and gives to the careless player several cards from his own hand. Whoever first disposes of all his cards is the winner. The players usually arrange themselves in two lines drawn down the middle of the room, and the two sides play against each other, the game not being ended until either one side or the other has disposed of all its cards. The game requires great quickness of thought and of motion, and is invaluable in giving to all young people an education in the classical poetry of their own nation, as well as being a source of great merriment and jollity among the young and the old. Scattered throughout the year are various flower festivals when, often with her whole family, our little girl visits the famous gardens where the plum, the cherry, the chrysanthemum, the iris, or the azalea attain their greatest loveliness, and spends the day out of doors in aesthetic enjoyment of the beauties of nature supplemented by art. And then there is the feast most loved in the whole year, the feast of dolls, when on the third day of the third month the great fireproof storehouse gives forth its treasures of dolls, in an old family, many of them hundreds of years old, and for three days with all their belongings of tiny furnishings in silver lacquer and porcelain they reign supreme arranged on red-covered shelves in the finest room of the house most prominent among the dolls are the effigies of the emperor and empress in antique court costume seated in dignified calm each on a lacquered dais near them are the figures of the five court musicians in their robes of office each with his instrument besides these dolls which are always present and form the central figures of the feast numerous others more plebeian but more lovable find places on the lower shelves and the array of dolls furnishings which is brought out on these occasions is something marvellous it was my privilege to be present at the feast of dolls in the house of one of the tokugawa daimyos a house in which the old forms and ceremonies were strictly observed and over which the wave of foreign innovation had passed so slightly that even the calendar still remained unchanged and the feast took place upon the third day of the third month of the old japanese year instead of on the third day of march which is the usual time for it now at this house where the dolls had been accumulating for hundreds of years five or six broad red cover shelves perhaps twenty feet long or more were completely filled with them and with their belongings the emperor and empress appeared again and again as well as the five court musicians and the tiny furnishings and utensils were wonderfully costly and beautiful before each emperor and empress was set an elegant lacquered table service trays bowls cups sake pots rice buckets etc all complete and in each utensil was placed the appropriate variety of food the sake used on this occasion is a sweet white liquor brewed especially for this feast, as different from the ordinary sake as sweet cider is from the hard cider upon which a man may drink himself into a state of intoxication. Note. The shirozake, white sake, used for this occasion is a curious drink, thick and white, made from pounded rice and used especially for this feast. Some antiquarians believe that it is simply the earliest form of sake, the national beverage, which has been preserved in this ancient observance as the fly is preserved in amber. End of note besides the table service everything that an imperial doll can be expected to need or desire is placed upon the shelves lacquered norimono or palanquins lacquered bullock's carts drawn by bow-legged black bulls these were the conveyances of the great in old japan and these in minute reproductions are placed upon the red covered shelves tiny silver and brass hibachi or fireboxes are there with their accompanying tongs and charcoal baskets Whole kitchens with everything required for cooking the finest japanese feasts as finely made as if for actual use all the necessary toilet apparatus combs mirrors utensils for blackening the teeth for shaving the eyebrows for reddening the lips and whitening the face all these things are there to delight the souls of the little girls who may have the opportunity to behold them for three days the imperial effigies are served sumptuously at each meal and the little girls of the family take pleasure in serving their imperial majesties but when the feast ends the dolls and their belongings are packed away in their boxes and lodged in the fireproof proof warehouses for another year the tokugawa collection of which i have spoken is remarkably full and costly for it has been making for hundreds of years in one of the younger branches of a family which for two and a half centuries was possessed of almost imperial power and lived in more than imperial luxury but there are few households so poor that they do not, from year to year, accumulate a little store of toys wherewith to celebrate the feast, and whether the toys are many or few, the feast is the event of the year in the lives of the little girls of Japan. Note. The keeping of a feast on the third day of the third month is a custom that has come down from very ancient times. At first the day was set apart for the purification of the people, and a part of the ceremony was the rubbing of the body with bits of white paper roughly cut into the semblance of a white-robed priest these paper dolls were believed to take away the sins of the year when they had been used for purification they were inscribed with the sex and birth-year of the user and thrown into the river the third month was also in early times the season for cock-fighting among the men and for doll-playing among the women the special name by which the dolls of the doll festival are called is ohina sama The hina, in modern Japanese, means a chicken or other young bird, and is never used to mean anything else except the dolls. Thus the dolls are shown to be associated with the ancient cockfighting, an amusement which has now almost gone out, except in the province of Tosa on the island of Shikoku. The oldest dolls did not represent the emperor and empress, but simply a man and a woman, and were modeled closely after the old white paper dolls of the religious ceremony. When the Tokugawa shoguns had firmly established their splendid court at Iedo, A decree was issued designating the five feast days upon which the daimyos were to present themselves at the shogun's palace and offer their congratulations. One of the days thus appointed was the third day of the third month. It is believed that the giving of the chief place at the feast to effigies of the emperor and empress was a part of the policy of the shogunate, a policy which aimed to keep alive the spirit of loyalty to the throne, while at the same time the occupant of the throne remained a puppet in the hands of his vice Each girl born into a family has a pair of Ohina-sama placed for her upon the red-covered shelf on the first feast of dolls that comes after her birth. When, as a bride, she goes to her husband's house, she carries the dolls with her, and the first feast after her marriage she observes with special ceremonies. Until she has a daughter old enough to carry out the observance, she must keep up the ceremony. The feast, as it exists today, is said by the Japanese to serve three purposes. It makes the children of both sexes loyal to the imperial family, it interests the girls in housekeeping, and it trains them in ceremonial etiquette. End of note. Beside the regular feasts at stated seasons, our little girl has a great variety of toys and games, some belonging to particular seasons, some played at any time during the year. At the new year, the popular out-of-door games are Battledore and Shuttlecock and Ball. There is no prettier sight, to my mind, than a group of girls in their many-coloured wide-sleeved dresses playing with battledore or ball. The graceful rhythmic motion of their bodies, the bright upturned eyes, the laughing faces are set off to perfection by the colouring of their flowing drapery, and their agility on their high lacquered clogs is a constant source of wonder and admiration to anyone who has ever made an effort to walk upon the clumsy things there are dolls too that are not relegated to the storehouse when the feast of dolls has ended but who are the joy and comfort of their little mothers during the whole year and at every Quan ko ba, or bazaar an endless variety of games puzzles pictures to be cut out and glued together and amusements of all kinds may be purchased at extremely low rates there is no dearth of games for our little girl, and many pleasant hours are spent in the household sitting-rooms with games or conundrums or stories or the simple girlish chatter that elicits constant laughter from sheer youthful merriment. As for fairy tales, so dear to the hearts of children in every country, the Daphne's child has her full share. Often she listens half-asleep while cuddling under the warm quilted cover of the kotats. Footnote. Kotats a charcoal fire in a brazier or a small fireplace in the floor, over which a wooden frame is set, and the whole covered by a quilt. The family sit about it in cold weather, with the quilt drawn up over the feet and knees. And a footnote. In the cold winter evenings, to the drowsy voice of the grandmother or nurse, who carries her away on the wings of imagination to the wonderful palace of the sea gods, or to the haunts of the terrible Oni, monsters with red, distorted faces and fearful horns. Momotaro, The peach boy, with his wonderful feats in the conquest of the Oni, is her hero, until he is supplanted by the more real ones of Japanese history. There are occasional all-day visits to the theatre, too, where, seated on the floor in a box, railed off from those adjoining, our little girl in company with her mother and sisters enjoys, though with paroxysms of horror and fear, the heroic historical plays which are now almost all that is left of the heroic old Japan here she catches the spirit of passionate loyalty that belonged to those days forms her ideals of what a noble japanese woman should be willing to do for parents or husband and comes away taught as she could be by no other teaching what the spirit was that animated her ancestors what spirit must animate her should she wish to be a worthy descendant of the women of old Among these surroundings, with these duties and amusements, our little girl grows to womanhood. The unconscious and beautiful spirit of her childhood is not driven away at the dawn of womanhood, by thoughts of beaux, of coming out in society, of a brief career of flirtation and conquest, and at the end as fine a marriage, either for love or money, as her imagination can picture. She takes no thought for these things herself, and her intercourse with young men, though free and unconstrained, has about it no grain of flirtation or romantic interest. When the time comes for her to marry, her father will have her meet some eligible young man, and both she and the young man will know, when they are brought together, what is the end in view, and will make up their minds about the matter. But until that time comes, the modest Japanese maiden carries on no flirtations, thinks little of men except as higher beings to be deferred to and waited on, and preserves the childlike innocence of manner, combined with a serene dignity, under all circumstances, that is so noticeable a trait in the Japanese woman from childhood to old age the japanese woman is under this discipline a finished product at the age of sixteen or eighteen she is pure sweet and amiable with great power of self-control and a knowledge of what to do upon all occasions the higher part of her nature is little developed no great religious truths have lifted her soul above the world into a clearer and higher atmosphere but as far as she goes in regard to all the little things of daily life she is bright industrious sweet-tempered and attractive and prepared to do well her duty, when that duty comes to her, as wife and mother and mistress of a household. The highest principle on which she is taught to act is obedience, even to the point of violating all her finest feminine instincts. At the command of father or husband, and, acting under that principle, she is capable of an entire self-abnegation, such as few women of any race can achieve. With the close of her childhood, the happiest period in the life of a Japanese woman closes, The discipline that she has received so far repressive and constant as it has often been has been from kind and loving parents she has freedom to a certain degree such as is unknown to any other country in asia in the home she is truly loved often the pet and plaything of the household though not receiving the caresses and words of endearment that children in america expect as a right for love in japan is undemonstrative Kisses are unknown, and regarded by conservative Japanese as an animal and disgusting way of expressing affection. End of footnote. But just at the time when her mind broadens, and the desire for knowledge and self-improvement develops, the restraints and checks upon her become more severe. Her sphere seems to grow narrower, difficulties one by one increase, and the young girl who sees life before her as something broad and expansive, who looks to the future with expectant joy, may become, in a few years, the weary, disheartened woman. End of Childhood Part 2. Recording by Dan Frese.